What is up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Right Path Podcast. I hope y'all are having a wonderful morning. We're going through this COVID-19, social distancing, isolation stuff. So I I just, you know, I hope all y'all are doing okay. Um, This is my first real attempt at a podcast. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Instagram at Comeback Odell and Facebook at Michael Odell. My intention behind the Right Path Podcast is to have a platform to upload biblical teaching and also just to jump on here from time to time and share some stories, provide some encouragement, strength, and hope to those that tune in. Also, feel free to share this with anyone. I don't care who, anyone. If, if, if anything you hear resonates with you or resonates with someone you may know or you think it might resonate with someone you may know, just share it with them, please. This series I'm doing is probably going to be two, maybe three-part series. It's on recovery. And that's what today's focus is. And the reason I've I've chosen to do this topic is March 31st, uh, just a short five, five days ago or so, I celebrated my four-year recovery birth anniversary. You know, never in my wildest thoughts or dreams did the idea that I'd be able to stay sober even just for a couple days ever crossed my mind. You know, sure, when I was a kid, I wasn't using or drinking daily, but that sure did change, and it didn't take that long to change either. And that's that's why I've chosen to, to share my story on this platform for the next couple weeks. Just a quick background of who I am in regards to recovery in this this whole story, this series, okay? I, you know, at the, at the age of 13, I had my first drink. And let me tell you something, it wasn't as bad as everyone said it would be. In fact, it, it was exactly what I needed at the time to change the way I was feeling. And as a teenager... I started to get in trouble with the law. I was, you know, it started when I was 13 with with drinking and I I was arrested, I think, for the first time around the age of 15, riding around in a stolen vehicle with a friend. And it didn't bother me at all. It was kind of fun, exhilarating, right? Adrenaline rush. It, It didn't bother me. It bothered my parents, though. My parents were ministers. Uh, We weren't raised that to act like that or be doing those kinds of things. You know, I got two younger brothers and that's just not how we were raised. But this is these are the events that took place in my life regardless of how I was raised. And I continued to get in trouble with the law on a pretty regular basis. I quit high school when I was 14, maybe 15 uh, years old. And I got a job as a dishwasher at a local restaurant. You know, at this time, I'm still drinking and smoking weed and experimenting, doing some cocaine, different drugs recreationally. But I felt that if I held a job, it was okay for me not to be in school. Right? That's why you go to high school. Uh, you go to school so that you can get a job, or you go to school so that you can go to college so that you can get a job. The end result is everybody gets a job, right? And there's nothing wrong with starting from the bottom and working your way up. You know, I still don't have a degree. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps. I did four years in the Marines, and we'll talk about that, but I don't have any degrees. Everything I've done, I've always just started from 
you know, maybe not necessarily the bottom, but not not at the top either. So I continued to drink and use drugs, uh, again, starting with weed and then moving on to harder things like cocaine, pain medication, benzos, whatever, really. It, it, I didn't have a preference. It was just fun. And one of my younger brothers began to follow in my footsteps. You know, I I believe that, that I helped lead him down the path that he chose. Although I didn't want that for him, I, I wouldn't let him hang out with us. It wasn't like I enjoyed it, but my actions led him down that path. And, and thank the Lord that he's, he's doing amazing now. Absolutely amazing. Come, I think he's 10 years sober, so shout out to him for, for all the all the encouragement and all the positive things he's been doing. So I pretty much spent my entire teenage life on some sort of probation or legal actions, you know, uh, DWIs, public intoxications, resisting arrest, assaults, possessions, evading arrest. The list just goes on and on. It's absolutely ridiculous. And when I was 18 years old, Right, I, I like I mentioned, I quit high school. Um, when I was eighteen, I I started to feel this urge to become better, and I knew at the minimum I had to get a GED. But I was still I was still in a position where I could go back to school. I was still living at my parents' house, even though I was pretty much never there. I caught man, I caused them so much heartache and stress, and you know my mom would be up up all weekend long, every weekend, sometimes during the week, waiting for a phone call from the sheriff's department because it did happen, and it happened often. But I went back to school when I was 18. Uh, not sure why, I just that's I just did. And I went in as an 18-year-old freshman, and they put me on a self-paced program, and I was able to get all my credits I needed to graduate. I knocked it out in a year. Now, you know, I, I got my diploma, I'm 19 years old, but I'm still lost with absolutely no clue whatsoever as to what I wanted to do, so I applied to go to college, and of course, I didn't apply to a community college, I probably would have got in, I applied to Texas Tech, and of course, was quickly denied, uh, it didn't take long for that letter to come in the mail, and you know, my GPA was probably lower than anyone had ever seen before. Probably record-breaking. I don't doubt it. And so I continued to drink daily, and I had a job doing construction. And, you know, that that job, it was a good job. I was making some pretty good money, and it still wasn't changing me, though. Nothing I was doing up to this point was changing me, and I desperately wanted to change. That's why I kept flooding my body with these intoxicants. I was, I was changing the way I was feeling. And so at the age of 19, I finally made a decision that it was time to change my life, and I joined the Marine Corps. I, I can't tell you exactly why I joined. Uh, maybe I thought it would change my life, change the way I was thinking, sober me up. And we'll soon find out through this series that it didn't exactly do what I was thinking it would. Although, I'm extremely proud of my service as a United States Marine. I'm extremely proud of the men and women that I served with, those that are still with us and those that are not. Extremely proud of each and every one of them. 
And so I joined the Marine Corps in 2006. I joined, I went to boot camp in California, graduated in February 2007. My duty station was, I was stationed in Hawaii. When I got there, my unit had just left like literally the day before, a couple days before to Fallujah. And I was pretty bummed out. I thought I was going to be stuck with the remain behind element. But no, about a week later, me and my buddy were on our own flights to catch up with our unit, which was an absolute trip. I was on this commercial flight from Bangor, Maine to Kuwait. Um, probably me and him were the only two Americans on that flight. We had just got out of boot camp, brainwashed to kill everything in sight. It was just a nightmare. On edge. That whole flight didn't sleep. It was just... It was just insane. Our deployment wasn't that bad. We returned safe. However, my drinking escalated to a pretty dangerous amount. Although it still wasn't dark, right? Life wasn't dark. I'd have to say that the first two years on active duty were pretty positive. Uh, Although I drank every day, I was able to manage, move up in rank and responsibility. I stayed out of trouble for the most part. And, you know, I was kind of a tip of the spear Marine. And, you know, then we deployed to Ramadi. And, you know, we were on numerous night missions through cities, some bordering countries, uh, pretty much every night. It was a it was a boss to the wall deployment. And one night we returned from a long mission to and from the Jordan border. And that night, a brother and friend took his life uh, to suicide. You know, we hear shots. Everybody responds accordingly to the scene. It was traumatic, to say the least. And I believe that that moment began to bring out some demons inside of me that I never knew existed. That's not something you're trained for in boot camp, right? You're not trained to respond to a suicide, right? It's just something that's not covered. It may be now because 22 guys a day are committing suicide, so it probably is something that's talked about now, but it it certainly wasn't in 2006, 2007. I also may have used that moment as an excuse to just drown myself in booze and other drugs. Uh, Once we returned from this deployment, my alcohol addiction began to take on a different role in my life. It was no longer fun. I drank alone. I isolated you know, I went to off-limits bars so that I wouldn't be around people I knew so they wouldn't see me in this just completely intoxicated state. Um, I started using some drugs while I was on active duty service. Some, somehow I managed to, to pass the randoms that, that they, would, they would give us and, you know, squeak by. It's a miracle. But my mental health began to decline. It declined so bad that I began to try to harm myself. And, you know, one night I went out and I went out with some brothers. I, I, I felt like maybe I need some, maybe, maybe I need some friendship. Maybe I need some brotherly love. So I went out with some guys. I ended up picking a fight with these locals. And, and next thing you know, I'm in the ICU, to, you know, and, what happened was I got jumped. I picked a fight inside the bar. One, if you I, you could call it a win, whatever. I, I lost in the long run. But I beat this guy up, and I go outside to smoke a cigarette, and I get jumped by his buddies. 
Uh, I got jumped so bad, broken jaw, broken nose, shattered eye socket, eyeball hanging out of my head. And I made it to the hospital because this lady found me in her flower bed, completely passed out, unconscious, and drove me to the hospital, dropped me off at Castle Medical in Hawaii at the ER. They came out, brought me in, and I only know this because I have the report of what happened. And then roughly three months after that incident, I just jumped again. And some other things happened to me in, in, in that instant. And I'm not going to get into that. Um, but I, whatever happened to me, I, I told myself I would never let anyone know I'm taking this to the grave. Whatever. So bottling up everything that I've ever experienced in my life was obviously the worst thing I could have possibly done. I didn't feel like I had that much help, you know, when, when, whenever a Marine is asked what's wrong or what's going on, they just respond with, I'm fine, simplify. But I was torn up and lost. When I tried to re-enlist, the Marine Corps basically told me that my time as a Marine was over. I did get an honorable discharge. They sent me to a one-hour class for alcohol abuse and got my DD-214 and went home. Okay. About three months after I got home in January 2011, I was in a drunk driving accident, almost killing this elderly woman. And that didn't even stop me. You would think that these these severe situations in someone's life who's struggling with substance abuse would be enough to get them to stop. And it is for some people. It wasn't for me. And it's not for a lot of people. The... After that accident, I received another two DUIs and an assault charge. You know, I was working in the oil field. I had a good job. I was making good money. I was able to blow two to three hundred bucks a night on alcohol and cocaine. And this cycle went on for about three years. I had no idea what I was missing in my life at the time, but but I, I you know, I lost my identity. I had no idea who I was. And you know, I got into this relationship and that certainly didn't help things at all either. And in 2012, I think it was, I ended up going to treatment. So that, that, that's just a quick snapshot background of my struggles in regards to recovery and substance abuse. Okay. And yes, the struggles continued after I went to treatment and we'll talk about that. So for this first show, my focus is on recovery. The reason I've chosen this topic is that on March 31st, I celebrated my four-year recovery birth anniversary. Okay? Super awesome. Never in my wildest thoughts or dreams did the idea that I'd be able to stay sober even just for a couple days ever cross my mind. You know, sure, I wasn't drinking daily or using drugs daily when I was a kid, but that changed. And so I went to treatment in 2011 or 12. So what I want to talk about today, what is recovery? All right. If you don't know what AA is, what recovery is, what the 12 steps are, and you go to research it, you'll probably come up with something that sounds like this. Alcoholics Anonymous is a mutual aid fellowship with the purpose of enabling its members to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety or drug addicts. Yes, I said drug addicts. Um, 
I know, I know this, and I say this because I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was both, right? And so this program works if you diligently work it. But that's, that's what people are scared of recovery. The word recovery, they're scared of rehab, they're scared of treatment, they're scared of AA, they're scared of the words, the language, the definitions. It turns people off like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not at that point in my life where I need like treatment. I'm not, I'm not that far gone. It doesn't take far to get that far gone. Or it doesn't take long to get that far gone. Okay. But the word recovery, if you look it up, it, there's two definitions I chose. And they're the first two, actually. It's a return to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. The second definition is the action or process of regaining possession or control of something stolen or lost. Now, who would not want to return to a normal state of health, mind, or strength, right? I think every struggling person with substance abuse or other mental health disorders would love to return to a normal state of health, mind, or strength, all the above. What about something that was lost from you? What about something you lost or or you feel was stolen from you due to your addiction? Or your struggles, would you not want to regain that possession, or or that 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 mental clarity? I think everybody would. So, that's what recovery is to me. So let's jump over to let's say when, let's, when I went to treatment, okay? And like I said, it was 2011, 2012. What's funny is I don't remember. I don't remember the day. I don't remember the time of the year, the season. Uh. If I took a guess, it'd be 2012 because it was before my son was born and he was born in 2013. So I don't actually remember. I just know it was before 2013 and it was after 2010. So when I was in treatment, one thing I learned is the big book. I learned the 12 steps. And some people struggle with all of these steps. Some people only struggle with a few. Others only one. Others half, we're all different, right? For me, what I think most people struggle with is step three and step five because those steps point to a higher power. They point to God. And a lot of people struggle with the God concept. I didn't struggle with that. I was raised a Christian. I was raised to believe in God. So those two steps, and I'll read them off to you. Uh, those two steps were not that difficult for me. Step three was make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him. Well, I, I felt like I understood God. Uh, the fifth step is you just admit to God, to yourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of your wrongs. Those weren't too bad uh, for me personally. But the hardest steps were step four and step eight. Now, step four is that you make a fearless moral inventory of yourself. So so not only are you telling me that I'm in treatment because I'm I'm obviously unhealthy I'm struggling, but now I have to make a fearless moral inventory of myself. Bro, I hate who I am. I hate who I've become. I can't stand to be in my own skin. I'm disgusted with myself. I'm weak. I'm I'm bottom of the totem pole. I'm not loved. I'm worthless. And now I have to make a fearless moral inventory of myself. Well, let me tell you something. That is something hard to do. And then step eight. Okay, step eight is to make a list of all the people you've harmed. Not all the not a list of the people that have harmed you, right? 
But you got to make a list of the people that you have harmed. And you got to be willing to make amends to them all. Look, I know I've done people wrong, but going through this program, that was a bottleneck for me like no other bottleneck before. We can get into this state of mind where our problems are direct results from other people's actions. And maybe some of them are. Well, I don't know. I, I, I firmly believe that it's our response to other people's actions that, that drives us you know, in the direction that you're going. It's how you respond to what other people do that is wrong to you. But for this program, this is a program about me. This is a program about my recovery. So I don't need to make a list of people that done me wrong. Who cares what they've done, right? That's the hard part. Who cares what they've done? Make a list of who you've harmed and be willing to make amends to them all. Take your hands away from your own throat because all you're doing by holding on to these grudges and these, these situations that people have done wrong to you, when you're holding on to that and you don't let go, you're choking yourself to death. Quit choking yourself. We all have different fingerprints. Not one of us is exactly like the other. And the beauty of this program is that it works regardless of your fingerprint. The principles and the steps remain constant. They remain the same, yet they work for different fingerprints. This program doesn't discriminate against your fingerprint, against your race, against your demographic, against your economic status, against your, your, your home life, against your, your, the way you were raised. It doesn't discriminate. It can work for each and every one of you that put in the work. So here's the deal. When I was in treatment, although I did not really want to be there, I did take it seriously. I did the work. I applied myself. It was basically big book boot camp. All right. You know, that, that's what it was. You get to know Bill and Bob really well. And for those of you that don't know or have never read the big book, you won't know who Bill and Bob are. But for those of you that do, you know what I'm talking about. I already believed in God, so that's like what this program points to. Essentially, these steps will point you to a spiritual, renewed relationship with God. I already believed in God, so right, this should be easy. I'm in a safe place. I can't get my alcohol or drugs. And mind you, drugs weren't at this time my, my primary poison. It was alcohol. Detox was rough. It was 14 days long. It was absolutely insane. Insane. I, I would have died if I detoxed on my own, for sure. So again, I applied myself. I went through the program. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did all the assignments. I read the book over and over again. I highlighted. I took notes. I, I did. I shared. I did everything. I, I, I thought I did, right? This is a rigorous and honest program. And if you're not completely honest you're missing some ingredients to the recipe of success. So, I did my 28 days and was discharged. I went back home to the same thing, the same relationship, the same house, the same friends, the same everything. The problem was I didn't change. I did not change in treatment. I guess subconsciously, you know, maybe I was hoping that Everything in the real world outside of treatment would change so, so that I could adapt to that new lifestyle. 
right? Adapt to my surroundings. If everything else changes around me, then I'll be good to go. But that's not a reality of any kind. That's just not how things work. You know, people don't change for you. And you don't change for people. Now, a question you may be asking yourself is, you know, but Michael or Mike, I just heard you say that you did everything right while you were in treatment. Why did you not change? Let me tell you something. There has to be an internal change. We can't change for people and we can't expect people to change for us. Okay? Like kids, young kids understand this concept very well. All right? You get we get these these uh square containers with shape cutouts in them and we give them all these different shapes and they sit there and they try to figure out the circle okay it goes in a circle shape the triangle goes into a triangle shape right the circle is not going to fit into the triangle shape we all have a, a a heart shaped towards God and when you don't have God in your life there's a hole there and you can't fill the hole in your heart with anything other than God it's not going to fit I tried to fill the void in my heart with drugs, with alcohol, with women, with jobs, with success, with careers, with cars, with, with possessions, with clothes, literally sex. Nothing will fill that void in your heart other than the shape that fits. And it's a God-shaped hole. There has to be an internal change. Okay? Now, this is a pretty big pill for some people to swallow, but it's true. It couldn't be more true than it is. I'm going to sign off with this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in to the Right Path podcast in this series about my journey through recovery. Next week, we're going to get into some pretty fun stuff. I hope you will all tune back in next week for the second part. Trust me, you will not want to miss this. Life gets super spicy after I was discharged from treatment. So again, thank you very, very much. I'll see y'all next week.